Games rated RP to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we'll talk with the developers of two big new Nindy games for Nintendo Switch. My name is Chris Slate. We've got a special episode for you this month. Uh, We won't have any of the regular content because we wanted to spend as much time as possible talking with our two guests about a couple of big upcoming games for Nintendo Switch. First, we've got legendary game director Suda51, who will talk about Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes. Then, Corey Rollins from Clay Entertainment will tell us all about Mark of the Ninja Remastered, which made a big splash on other platforms and will be getting a lot of upgrades for Nintendo Switch. I spoke with both of them from the show floor at Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, which was a little noisy, so I apologize in advance. But first, we have a special guest. Bill Trennan from Nintendo Treehouse has dropped by to talk about a couple of announcements that were recently made for this year's E3. Hi, Bill. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Great. Um, you know, it's going to be that time of year again. Uh, everyone's excited to find out what's going to happen at E3. What can you tell us about the two big tournaments that are in the works? Yep. Well, we just recently announced that there's going to be a Splatoon 2 World Championship. This is the first official World Championship, um, and it sort of follows up a tournament that we held last year that was a a pre-release tournament. Um, And what's going to happen with the Splatoon 2 World Championship is that there's open qualifiers happening around the world, um, including one that's happening online here in the U.S. and Canada. That online qualifier is April 21st. The finals are April 28th. And then the winner of that qualifier is going to go to E3 to represent North America in the Splatoon 2 World Championship. And they will battle against teams from Japan, Europe, uh, and Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, and uh, at last year's tournament, the U.S. team won, right? They did. That was actually a pretty big surprise. Japan is a huge, huge uh, market for Splatoon. People there love the game. There's a really, really big tournament scene. They had thousands of teams enter for uh, for their tournament this year for to determine which team was going to get sent to uh, this uh, world championship. And I think last year, everyone expected the Japan team was just going to come in and dominate. And Early on, the, the U.S. team kind of lost in qualifier or in the, the round-robin series of, uh, of matches in that tournament, but managed to come back and pull off a dramatic victory at the end against the, the team from Japan. So I think this year's World Championship really is going to be a question of can the, can the U.S. keep the cup or will Japan come in and, and sweep things and, and kind of prove that it really belongs in Japan or, or will we have a surprise upstart from like Australia or Europe that will, will maybe uh, show their medal? Yeah, yeah, it should be very, very interesting. I really enjoyed last year's tournament. Um, And of course, that's not the only tournament at this year's E3. It is not. Uh, I think a lot of people are excited. We announced uh, the Super Smash Brothers 2018 Invitational, which will be happening at the uh, roughly the same time. So we've got tournaments on June 11th and June 12th, and uh, one of those is obviously Splatoon 2, the other Smash Brothers. This is going to be the first uh, big tournament for Smash Brothers. Uh, on Nintendo Switch. And that is obviously something people are excited about. I think there's a lot of speculation uh, around who's going to be there. We're going to be looking at inviting some uh, really high-level players because we want to showcase not only a a fun event, but also some really, really good world-class gameplay and and also some matchups that maybe maybe you can't see elsewhere. So, Well, it sounds great. And, And of course, that's not 
all that Nintendo has planned for E3, right? That's right. We have, uh, there's actually going to be more announcements coming, some related to the tournaments, some related to other activity happening at E3. Um, it's a little bit earlier that we're talking about our E3 plans this year. Um, typically, we'll wait until a little bit later, so hopefully people will stay tuned to see what else we have in store. And if anybody wants uh, more information on the tournaments and maybe some of the stuff that gets talked about a little bit later, I think they can go to e3.nintendo.com and keep up with all the latest. That's right. Right. Well, uh, Bill, thanks so much for stopping by. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, see you at E3. Sounds good. We're here right now with Suda51 um, from Grasshopper Manufacturer, who is the director of Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes. Suda-san, thank you very much for talking to me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Now, fans have been waiting for another game in this series for quite a while. And actually, if I remember correctly, um, this game was first announced um, back in, I think, January of last year, uh, when the Nintendo Switch itself was um, first revealed. So what was it like to be up on the stage and, and introduce the game to the world? It was an incredible honor to be up there. He, I never thought I would be standing up in front of all of these uh, people to at the Nintendo Switch launch. And I was very excited as well. Um, something else, though, was that as a game designer, it felt like, in a way, I had, I had come so far to be able to announce Travis Strikes Again at, at an event like that. It was an amazing experience. Now, if I'm right, I believe the original No More Heroes game for the Wii console came out in January of 2008, so it's been 10 years uh, since the original game. Is that one of the reasons why now is the right time to bring the series back? So originally the game was um, developed with a company called Marvelous in Japan. Uh, they were the publisher and Grasshopper Manufacturer was the, uh, the developer. Um, and they kind of had brought it up that, hey, remember it's been, it's been 10 years since uh, No More Heroes. And right around that time, uh, Nintendo had delivered to Grasshopper Manufacturer information about the Switch, um, mock-ups and um, a bunch of Nintendo Switch about, about things like that. And um, as he was looking through the documents, he says, this is the console that needs to have Travis come back on it. And so that's how he decided to, uh, to bring it out to Switch, Nintendo Switch. And this new game is, is quite a bit different than the original two, but at the same time, you still have Travis, you still have the same kind of, uh, kind of punk rock attitude, you still have the, uh, the beam katana. So um, maybe uh, let me know a little bit about this game and how it's, it's different and yet how it's similar to the previous games in the series. So, up until now, Travis has fought against bad people. He says, kind of thinking about it, bad, bad, bad people. Um, however, this time, uh, Travis actually has a console called the Death Drive Mark II, which is a console from around the 90s. However, the awesome characteristic of this console is that as the player plays, they actually are able to enter the games. And so this time, Travis ends up getting sucked into it. And so he has to play his way through multiple different games in order to, uh, to escape. And this is where the different types of gameplay come, come into play, right? I believe, um, if I'm correct, there's seven different types of games in this? Yes, seven different types. And does that mean that between the different types, the gameplay changes drastically? Or is it, um, or, or, or you know, how does that work exactly? So basically, Travis has in his right hand his beam katana, and then in his left hand uh, this uh, death glove, which allows him to use different force abilities. And so, although there are different variations of games, for example, racing, he says, or like kind of a puzzle game, um, 
within that, even though you're still kind of using the Beam Katana and then the Death Gloves, there's different styles within that too. So the base is the same, however, lots of variation from game to game based on different genres. Okay, so we can basically expect um, kind of a, a core mechanics that, that kind of uh, you use throughout all the different games, but depending on which game you're in, there will also be different things that change. So this, so not Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I believe you mentioned some of these, but I think in the trailer they talked about racing, maybe even adventure, um, different types of, of genres. How how is the the core gameplay changed up in some of those? You know, whatever you can say. I don't know if you're revealing everything just yet. Ah, so for example, um, with the puzzle game, Travis has to kind of move the land around as like a maze almost, like a puzzle, to, to kind of get where he's going. And while he's doing that, he needs to continue to fight the enemies. So that's kind of the basic idea of, of pretty much all elements. It's a synthesis of action and something else. Yeah, I noticed in the trailer it looked like, um, it seemed like maybe part of the racing part was shown and it had a very different visual style. The idea for that was from uh, the old uh, vector games. Right, yes. yeah. Like yeah. that. So is that something to expect as well, that when you go into the different games, they change different visual styles? Yes, the, they will change it. And I noticed also that there's some two-player uh, functionality in this game. Does that carry through all the games, or is it for specific games? In every single one of the games in there, it has a two-player functionality. So this time, in addition to Travis, there's another new character called uh, Badman. And um, the player is able to choose uh, which, whether he'd like to, he or she would like to play as Travis or Badman, depending on each game. And doesn't Badman have a connection to a character from one of the previous games? So, yes, in the first game, uh, No More Heroes, a character called Bad Girl comes out. And um, Bad Girl is, there's this organization that um, filled with bad people. <laughs> and um, she's ranked very high, maybe two, uh, up to two in that organization. So Travis has to, uh, has to take care of her, <laughs> as it were. And um, Bad Man is Bad Girl's father. Ah. Does he maybe looking for some revenge for Travis? So, yeah, he is going to get revenge on Travis. Um, the thing is, with this uh, Death Drive Mark II console that we mentioned earlier, um, there's an urban legend surrounding it that if you collect the seven cartridges for it, um, one of your wishes will be granted. So, Badman's wish is to have his daughter revived. And so that's kind of why he goes, and they end up getting... They end up having to cooperate together to get out. However, um, that's his ultimate goal would be to revive his daughter. Is there anything else you can share about the story yet, or is it still kind of locked up? Travis's kind of goal within this is, um, he goes in there to, there's lots of bugs in these games, so he has to, he has to fight the bugs, as it were. Um, and Travis is entering the games as a video game character. And because they're playing through different games, he has the opportunity to interact and meet other video game characters and have conversations with them. At that point, the game style kind of changes and it turns into a, an adventure game or what maybe we'd call a, a visual novel. Um, within those parts, uh, Travis is talking to the various video game characters. And Sudo-san says that he wrote, this, he wrote these himself as kind of a way to think about um, the history of video games. Um, all everything that's come before and have a really cool opportunity to to have Travis interact and talk with these uh, old kind of video game heroes from the past as it were. I've heard that uh, there'll be some crossover with some, some indie titles uh, uh, and I wonder is this where that kind of comes into play? 
あの基本は T シャツですね、トラビスが着ている。そう、actually the collaboration with Indies has to do with the in-game apparel that Travis has. So you can have t- different T-shirts and then on the back of his leather jacket there's different images. And that's where those indie games come in. Right now the plan is to have either 51 um, of those different designs or he says maybe 64, like the Nintendo 64. But that's still、uh, not decided yet. Nice. <laughs> and I think a, a couple of these、um, indie partnerships have been announced, is that right? Yeah, so, so far there's been、uh, Hotline Miami、um, after that Shovel Knight, and then just yesterday、uh, Hyperlight Drifter was、uh, announced. That's so great. Some of my favorites. So, yeah, actually, Alex, who's the, the creator developer of、um, Hyperlight Drifter, had the first chance to meet him yesterday. And while he hasn't been able to finish Hyperlight Drifter, of course, he's played quite a bit of it, and he just loves the visual style. It's super cool, and he's really happy to. Have a collaboration、uh, with him, with a great creator like that. What do you think about the indie scene right now? It's really changed a lot over,、uh, over the years and,、uh, and really seems to be exploding, especially on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, now is,、uh, any creator all over the world is able to create these games、um, at any scale, any level. And those are, those are indies. And the really cool thing is that、um, so many of them have found an awesome home on Nintendo Switch. And it feels like.、Uh, Nintendo's been able to kind of curate and choose these really awesome games. He says he doesn't know if this is an apt comparison or not, but it feels like there's a championship belt. And every time one of these、uh, indie games is able to come to the Nintendo Switch, it's like another champion is there and they kind of have to fight it out together amongst champions. You know, one thing that's always struck me about、uh, your games going back, you know, obviously the first two No More Heroes titles and then something like Killer7 on Nintendo GameCube, is that they've always kind of had this punk rock feel to them in that they. They, it seems like you have a, a spark where you definitely try to do something different. And that's something that you see a lot in the indie community as well. And I wonder for you, what is your approach to, to developing games in general? Several things.、Um, some of the core things are that, first of all, making games that the, the big players maybe aren't making is one.、Uh, something else is this feeling that. What do I want to play? And so, to make a game that I would enjoy playing, that's just something that really would be important to him. And then,、uh, after that, as a gamer, you know, what would be cool? What, what would people like to play? All of these things are in mind as he、uh, develops games. Going back to the gameplay of Travis Strikes Again,、um, you mentioned two player functionality. Can you talk about how the, a little bit how the controls work? Because I know for the original games,、um, how、uh, you used the、uh, Wii Remote controller. Uh, in place of、um, Travis's beam katana was a big part of the gameplay. And I wonder if there's, if there's any similar controls here. Says, absolutely. So originally, the idea was to have the player hold a Joy Con in each hand. However, definitely wanted to have two player. And so the awesome thing about the Joy Cons is that you can do that. And so then the focus then became to how to use the limited real estate of a Joy Con to make sure that.、Uh, Play is smooth and fun, and they found an awesome way to do that. Of course, as you mentioned, users loved using、uh, the N- Nintendo Wii Remote Controller to play. So, to keep kind of that functionality there too, to charge up your,、uh, your weapon, you have to shake the Joy Con and things like that. So, that still, that still remains. Oh, that's great. That's still there. Are there any other ways that、um, the game uses the Nintendo Switch hardware? I, ma- I imagine that it's、um, you know, the core functionality of being able to use it both as a home console and then to pull it out and use it. On the go is, is、uh, a pretty interesting idea for, for the series. 
So this is a yeah, it's definitely a game that you can play anywhere. The cool thing is, is that you know you can when you're on the go. Of course, you can play it by yourself, but you can pop off the Joy Cons and hand one twenty your friends, have them join you and, and play too. Um, just the the possibilities are are awesome when it comes to being able to how and where you can play with this. Now um, back to the story really quick. Um, does this game take place in any particular point in the series timeline? Is it a prequel or a sequel? Or this is after the events of No More Heroes 2. Travis is living in a trailer park now, and throughout the course of the game, the players will be able to discover why Travis is now living alone in a trailer park, find out what happened to Sylvie, what's going on with her, and things like that. So, now for anyone who maybe hasn't um, um, been able to play the series yet, how would you describe? Travis Touchdown as a character because he's a very unique character that really seems to have resonated with a lot of fans. So Travis Touchdown is, uh, I guess the, the first thing would be he's an otaku. And he's an otaku for various things. Um, games, of course, as well as um, pro wrestling, too. And so that's the other aspect of him, though, is that he has this weapon called the Beam Katana. And he actually uh, works for an organization as um, uh, an assassin. And so um, it's, his story is, is kind of a, a youth coming-of-age story because he starts at the very bottom and throughout the course of the first game of No More Heroes, he climbs his, he climbs his way through the ranks um, and reaches the top. So, yeah, he has uh, uh, these, two, these two sides to him, you could say. I, I love all the, uh, this. I just have to say that in, in the second game, I really loved all the little uh, extra jobs he could do. <laughs> Just all the little 8-bit minigames speaks to, uh, I think, the point about his character where he's the youth trying to just make a buck, basically. Yeah, that's a really good point. Another cool thing about it is that all of those minigames represent Travis doing work, you know, those are his part-time jobs. And so he, um, he wanted to portray the cycle of, you know, this man who's going to work and making money and then using that money to continue to climb the ranks of that the organization. What do you think Travis would do if he was here at GDC and saw all these games? Oh, He'd be super excited. He's probably probably playing a ton of those indie games over there. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate in the in the build of um, of Travis Strikes Again that you have here. I know a lot of the dialogue seems to have been written specifically for GDC, and there were some very funny lines about cold San Francisco nights and other things. <laughs> yeah, he says he, he, he knew that. Um, this build was specifically for GDC. So he wanted to take advantage of that fact and make sure that he was able to get some, uh, some, some witty lines in there, especially between the, com the conversation between Travis and the character uh, Triple. And so he's really happy to see that actually people liked it and that they laughed. There was a, there was a couple outlets actually that when the dialogue came out, they liked it so much they, took, they snapped some pictures of it so they could remember it. And that made him really, really happy. I saw some people doing that and I, I, can, I can understand why because this is a demo that presumably people will, I mean, you're not going to have that kind of dialogue in the final games. So this is kind of an exclusive opportunity to, to take, take record of that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And some of that funny dialogue came between uh, Travis and, a bo and the boss that's here at the, the demo, and that makes me think that the series in general is, is very well known for just having some really um, you know, over-the-top, crazy fun bosses, and it looks like this game will have you know, those as well, and I wonder if we can talk about some of those, or, or if not any specifics, just kind of the, the general approach with, with how the boss fights work. In the build that we saw, for it to use as an, as an example, um, Travis is inside a game called Electronic Thunder Tiger 2. So, of course, since there's a, since there's a 2, um, there has to be a 1. And this 1 was actually an arcade game that Travis played a lot when he was a kid. And he loved uh, the character 
triple star that was in that game. And so jumping into this game and being able to meet this, this character that he loved as a kid, he's super, super excited. And so all, all the boss battles kind of have that little interesting spark to them. And um, Triple Star specifically, he uses um, electricity. That's his, that's his attack type. And so he uses electricity to shock Travis. And um, kind of going off of that, um, the design for Triple Star is super cool. And that's because uh, we've used a new designer, uh, a person from the UK called Boneface. And so Boneface did all of the uh, enemy design in the game. And I wonder after 10 years um, of, of the series being around and, and just seeing, uh, you know, it's been quite a, I think it's been about eight years maybe since No More Heroes 2. Um, but yet to see Travis Touchdown continue to be such a, a popular character and also the series to continue to be so popular with fans, what has it meant to see that kind of, you know, support and reaction from the fans all this time? It's a wonderful thing. Um, every time. Nintendo came out with new hardware. Um, fans were always clamoring for another entry in the series. Unfortunately, that wasn't able to be realized with uh, the Nintendo Wii U. However, now on the Nintendo Switch, it's, it's going to come back. And as soon as it was announced, fans all over the world were super happy. And that was an incredibly gratifying feeling. And I know he says that I have to create a game that's going to live up to these expectations and create a, a fun game that everyone's going to enjoy. And so he hopes everyone's looking forward to it coming out this year. I just have one more question. Um, if you yourself uh, went into the Death Drive Mark II and collected all seven cartridges, what would you wish for? Give me a second here. Hold on. That's an amazing question. He hadn't thought of that before. He says you folks at Nintendo might not like to hear this answer, but if he, had, if he could get any wish, he would first of all wish to make a Zelda game. He would like to make Zelda. And then the second one, he says he wants, he wants a two-for-one here. Um, the second one would be to make a Mario game where Mario and Bowser go on a road trip together. So those are the two wishes that he would like to definitely make happen should he be granted uh, a wish. That's, uh, I would definitely play those games. <laughs> so the idea would be, you know, if Link were to come to modern times, that, that, would, be, that would be the idea for it, to see how Link would handle being in kind of a, a modern time. That would be The Legend of Zelda by Suda. That should be the title as well, The Legend of Zelda by Suda. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Suda-san, thank you very much again for taking the time. It was really great talking to you. Thank you so much. We're here with Corey Rollins from Clay Entertainment, which is the developer of Mark of the Ninja Remastered that will be coming to Nintendo Switch this fall. Uh, hi, Corey. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me down. It's uh, really nice of you to fit me in and hope your GDC is going well. Yeah, I, you know, I'm super excited to find out more about this game. Um, I know the original version came out in, uh, in 2012. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I look back back then, uh, the reviewers were saying things like, you know, it was the best stealth game. It was the stealth masterpiece. And, uh, but, you know, when you first look at it, it looks very much like, um, you know, with modern graphics, obviously, but it seems like a, a somewhat old-fashioned side-scrolling action game, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, at first glance, maybe you don't get that it's, it's such a huge stealth title. So right. I wonder if you could just kind of, you know, give some of the, the, the listeners out there who haven't been exposed to this game yet a brief kind of introduction into what Mark of the Ninja is. Sure. So with Mark of the Ninja, the development team kind of saw a void in the, the stealth genre as a whole. Stealth was really moving towards um, a lot of the more famous 3D kind of games. And there's these aspects where frequently the feedback of why somebody got caught sometimes is a little nebulous. Like there are things there to kind of give you a hint that you're about to be detected or someone 
is looking your direction or maybe you're not as hidden as well as you think you are. But when you pivot that mechanism and give visual and audio feedback that is incredibly clear in a 2D plane, it really opened up the stealth genre to for us to explore and really make a ninja simulator where a ninja would never get caught by someone coming from behind just as much as somebody in the front because of the you know the audio feedback and stuff and it's very clear where the vision cones begin and end and it's very clear and fair you know if or you are or are not in light and are visible or not Um, so when that feedback becomes so precise you never feel like you got robbed by the game or something or that was unfair that I got caught every single time you get caught you're like oh it was my fault I did that and I want to do it better and when the stealth is so sharp like that and the tools are given to you to make stealth so powerful the desire to go and just beat your opponents physically really starts to fall to the back of your mind because stealth becomes your most powerful tool to complete the mission and that's that's the the biggest thing that we kind of had to conquer when developing that game was figuring out um how to make the players more powerful through stealth as opposed to force Hmm. so what happens if you are spotted is it game over or is there a chance to kind of so it depends on your reflexes and what you're going for so it is completely possible to undetected ghost unseen, unencounter every single level in the game. Like you can ghost everything perfectly and it's really cool and have no kill levels and just get through the level undetected and unseen. Um, you, If you are spotted by a guard, uh, it depends on kind of what difficulty you're on. Um, if you're on the, basically there's a, a base game difficulty and then if you do complete it and choose to play again, there's a new game plus mode, which changes a lot of things. One of those things in the new game plus mode is that when you're detected, if you are shot with a bullet, that's it, you're dead. You get shot, you're dead. Um, Whereas you can absorb two two to three, depending on the weapon or so, uh, in the regular game. So if you do get detected, the guards will try and attack you, and they will go and flank, try to flank to your most known position. if they can't see you immediately uh, you have an opportunity to try and run away through the ventilation systems just by getting out of their line of sight and hiding inside of things or in the shadows Uh, when you're in the shadows you are essentially invisible unless you get immediately into a guard's face in which they can detect you and how quickly do they give up looking for you it varies on the guard and it varies on whether or not they think they know where they are or they very clearly saw you like are they chasing they know somebody's in here because you did something that alerted them or did they literally just see a ninja in the room and now they're right. they're, <laughs> they're going to respond to that. That's good. You know, a lot of the stealth games, and I'm a huge fan of the genre and, a, and I really like a lot of the other games, but, um, you know, one thing you do run into sometimes with them is, you know, you'll if someone spots you, then suddenly it becomes an all-out shooting game mm-hmm. or you have to go hide somewhere, sometimes for a really long time, yeah. just to get back to the stealth gameplay. Yep. So um, if you're trying to do a perfect run, the one of the good things about the game is there are checkpoints and in my opinion they're pretty forgiving they're not designed to be like oh you got caught back to the beginning uh you 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 screwed up that part and we found that it's way more rewarding to try to just restart that part and do it again as opposed to like go all the way back to the beginning of like it gets tedious so we actually tried to put the checkpoints through so much game testing and game playing through various skill levels playing the game to make those checkpoints not seem 
too easy or too hard that it's like it's fair you're gonna do this section again because if you want to try and make it perfect right um the uh the other thing is that uh they do give up in a not tedious amount of time i know what you're talking about where it's it gets a little boring where you're just like sitting there hunkered down waiting for the like two minutes for this like countdown to go down and wait for the guards to to resume whatever they're doing and uh what's the progression like is it is it more is it split into distinct levels or is it is there backtracking how does that work sure so mark of the ninja is a level level based game um and uh basically as you progress through the levels you will have an opportunity through uh level completion the point system there are uh, optional things that you can gather throughout the level, uh, like uh, puzzle rooms that unlock artifacts, as well as um, uh, scrolls that have uh, haikus that kind of give a little bit of like uh, backstory about the lore of the ninja and everything. Um, basically, as you start building your points and your your honor points uh, through how you choose to do things and the collectibles that you you may choose to get. Uh, you start unlocking the ability to get new tools um, at the end of every level. So before you go to a new level, you have an opportunity to go to an upgrade screen. And there are options to get distraction items, uh, which will be like, you know, fire firecrackers, smoke bombs, things that you can use to manipulate the guards in new and different ways. There's also attack upgrades, which will basically give you uh, new ways to one-shot kill guards. Because um, with the combat in the game, one of the, the, the honor systems of this particular nin ninja is that he never unsheaths his sword unless it's going to be a fatal blow. So you can't just run around hacking and slashing people. If his sword comes out of his sheath, somebody is going away. <laughs> and, um, so there's new ways to do that, such as like, uh, you know, upward hanging attacks and stuff as opposed to just the traditional from, from behind. Um, so you start unlocking those. There's also a variety of skills that you can do. Um, you know, at one point you can jump a little bit further because you unlock kind of glider wing things that just give you a little tiny bit more distance, which really helps in kind of sneaking over top of guards. Um, you can also unlock different costumes, and the costumes have their own perk as well as a, a disadvantage to kind of keep them uh, kind of fair. One of the great examples of using, uh, back to what happens when you get detected, Sometimes if you, uh, you can terrorize a guard. So if there's two guards patrolling and you kill one of the guards in a particularly gruesome manner um, and the other guard turns around and sees the end result of that, he'll become terrified and just start blindly shooting. And now he's scared, very scared. And he will start walking around and like shaking, trying to figure out what happened. And uh, the more times you do that, eventually you'll unlock... Um, the the Oni mask that allows you to uh, get way it's way easier to terrorize guards. It makes it way easier to do it so that uh, you can actually use the terror um, to trick them into falling into traps, falling off ledges, and things like that. So if you like doing that and you unlock the terror uh, mask, which is an Oni mask, um, you can now do that way way easier. So it sounds like there's a, a ton of options. So. I wonder if you could walk us through like a, an example encounter where it's, you know, you, you, presumably you start in the shadows, there's a guard there. Uh, and I imagine it's, it's depending on the, the actual environment, this could, you know, that, that could affect the situation a lot. But what are some of the core kind of options you might have and how you might approach this? Maybe, a, you know, two or three different examples of, of what you could do to get past that uh, situation. Sure. So I think one of my personal favorite examples is uh, throughout the game, uh, you're able to manipulate 
uh, light frequently to your advantage. Um, and, you know, the obvious answer is you, you have, uh, you know, throwing shurikens and you can smash out the lights and stuff like that. Later on in the game, the enemies get a little smarter and they start putting grates over top of the lights so that you can't, you can't smash them uh, anymore. Um, just uh, moving into the DLC kind of thing that we were talking about, there is a new character that you can play in that. And one of his particular power-ups is that he actually has a way to temporarily disable the the graded lights by throwing a bag of moths at them and they all huddle around the 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 lights for a little while giving you a temporary chance to kind of act as if there's no there's no light so whether it's got a grade over it or not disabling the lights and finding ways around the guards uh patrol path is a frequent thing you'll be doing in the game um sometimes it's impossible with where a guard is stationed or where they are. Maybe there's too many of them to just simply get past them undetected. So you need to use a distraction device. Uh, so a distraction device, something like a smoke bomb, that's really aggressive because it's literally going to blind them and you're like they're going to know something crazy is going on because a smoke bomb just exploded in front of them. So you can just sneak past them and they'll stay in that room confused as to what's going on. Uh, but you could also throw a firework or a noisemaker just to get them to move long enough to go and detect what's going on. Um, in some of the more traditional temple-style levels, um, like in your home dojo kind of area, there's various little ornamental gongs and stuff, and instead of breaking a light, you could throw a shuriken at one of the gongs to set off... Um, basically you can see the sound ripple, and if those sound ripples hit a guard, they'll be confused and go and look at try and find the source of this sound and interrupting their traditional paths like that give you a chance to sneak by and then of course there's the easy uh less pacifist version where you could just hide in a grate and wait for a guard to come by and pull him into the grate and he doesn't come back out of the grate (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned sound does sound play a big role in the stealth aspect sound is a very big part of mark of the ninja both audibly and visibly because you everything you do including your own footsteps guards footsteps uh resonate visible sort of sound waves that fade out in in a, in a circle and dissipate over to over time depending on how loud the sound was and if if that sound wave if you, one of your sound waves crosses over to a guard they've heard you they will go and investigate the source of that sound uh likewise in the main version of the game the first the normal version the first time you play through you you will create sound waves as you run and you'll be able to see them and seeing all these sound waves trains you for new game plus for where once you start new game plus you no longer see any sound waves the ones you create uh or the ones that the 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 guards are creating um and your vision cone is now the same as the guards. So in the regular game, you can see your character and the world around you and sort of this like uh, vignette kind of thing where as it gets to the edges or if somebody's in a completely different room, you can hear, you can see echoes of them, but you don't actually see them. And if they stop moving, you just kind of know where you last heard them until they start moving again. In New Game Plus, that all gets funneled down into your own vision cone. So you have to be looking in the direction to see, to visibly see something, and everything, even the stuff in the room you're in, 
is your listen, your see listening kind of. You can hear it, but you'll see echoes, like almost black and white versions of the guards as they're moving. But if they stop moving, they kind of just fade into like a shadow where, well, that's where I heard them last and they're not moving anymore. And as also as you go through the game, there's some enemies and characters that move more silent than others so that you need to actually make eye contact with them just like they need to with you and their vision cone so it kind of evens it out in a really interesting way once you have completed the game and start new game plus are there uh, ever any like boss encounters or how does the story come into play in this game sure so i don't want to give too much away about the story but in terms of the mechanics there are absolutely a key event boss battle sort of scenario things um, there are a couple of them throughout the game, and uh, as you progress through the game, those particular characters, um, they come into play through, through the story, uh, uh, kind of unlocking what's, what's actually going on in the game, and just kind of like an overview of the story, I guess, like where the game starts, which is, is fine. Uh, so you play kind of a, a nameless ninja, he's, and he's the champion. They refer to him as the champion. And essentially, you are part of the Hisumu clan, which is this ninja clan. And you've very traditional uh, ninja clan that has been kind of hiding in a modern, urbanized sort of world. And they've been in hiding because the world's kind of evolved and gone on without them, and they've stayed incredibly traditional. The game starts where um, your dojo is essentially what appears to be attacked by this almost like paramilitary group. And uh, your sensei uh master as i basically says oh they're coming to attack us and you know attack our our ancient way and stuff like that and the mercenaries are accusing as of stealing from them and basically they end up kidnapping a whole bunch of your uh fellow ninjas and as and in the first level you're, you're you're just going to try and free as many ninjas as you can and get to as and start the game and the game is basically a story of unraveling what's going on with this paramilitary group why they're accusing your master and unlocking the mysteries of your particular character because as the champion uh, you discover that you've been emblazoned with these special tattoos and the way that they've put these tattoos is from an ancient flower that they found in the desert and by getting the, a tattoo from uh, this ancient tattoo smith that they have, Dosan, he, uh, once he gives you this tattoo in the ceremony using this particular ink, you start getting more and more powers, like enhanced reflexes, the ability to just have uh, in, insane perception of sound and everything, your environment. And as you go through the game, they start filling in your sleeve tattoos through multiple procedures, so you start getting more and more powers. The downside to this is they know through past champions that as the ink seeps into your blood and you start getting these powers, you also slowly start going insane. So as an act of getting the tattoos and accepting them to get these powers to be the champion of the clan, the defender of the clan, there's a point where you have to uh, basically accept that at some point you're going to commit seppuku voluntarily because if you don't, the last guy that didn't, it took decades for them to conquer him and basically take him down because he went crazy and it was almost detrimental to the clan. So they have this ritual where it's about giving a champion power to achieve some current 
ultimate you know battle kind of goal which in this case is the paramilitary group and trying to stop them so they've decided to enact the ritual give you the tattoos to become the champion to go and solve this problem that they're having and that's where the game starts and wow. <laughs> kind of goes from there that's the whole first first this is all of the first level and so through the whole game you're basically slowly turning into a, a bad guy yeah you're well it's it's your you're it's funny because like you're you are not necessarily a bad person and it's kind of the discovery of what's going on and as you start going insane you are now combating that as well as physical just traditional threats like things that are trying to stop you because they're bad guys or whatever um, your enemies are there but there's also psychological enemies that you're battling and the two intertwine in very interesting both visual and audio ways and mechanics through the levels wow that all right you've got to be <laughs> even more intrigued um, so you mentioned the opening part of the story yes and I've seen the opening uh, animation and right. immediately it strikes me just how well animated that is thank you and and uh, in that carries over into the um, you know the actual in-game character animation things like that as well so uh, can you talk a little bit about that was that a big focus for this game I imagine in a game where you've got you know ninjas you want to have some really smooth kind of fluid movement yeah so uh, particularly in the in the animated cutscenes all of the animated cutscenes are are hand hand drawn um, we have a very talented group of animators uh, many of which come from traditional animation backgrounds uh, we have animators that have worked on, you know, broadcast television cartoon shows in the past. And, you know, now they're in our studio making video games and they have been for, for a while. Um, so translating that, we really did want the cutscenes to be uh, really gorgeous, really smooth, really fluid and, and feel like, you know, a really well done graphic novel cartoon kind of thing. Um, the, that's just been a big part of Clay as, as we've gone along, especially with 2D art, making really gorgeous, well-done, smooth, animated 2D art. And in the game, the art is very important because the art is um, a big mechanic of the game. You know, being able to clearly see where light beginning and end, uh, begins and ends so that you can, you know, avoid detection, choose your paths very clearly, see the sounds. Um, it's yeah it it's very important and also because of the you know you're a fluid ninja it the animation has to be incredibly accurate and smooth so that you feel like a ninja ninjas are meant to move perfectly so the information and the animation has to be as smooth and tight as possible so that you know when you're running or doing something quickly as possible to avoid a searchlight and you're going to jump over a you know a pit of spikes or something you're confident of when to press that button when to land and it's like pixel perfect animation because if it's not then you feel robbed by the game because it's like well i thought i was going to make that jump but it didn't work now this new version is called um mark of the ninja remastered so can you tell us a little bit about what the remastered part of that means sure so mark of the ninja remastered uh in, I guess the, the biggest thing people will be excited about is that on top of visual graphics uh, being enhanced and audio enhancements, it will include the entire original Mark of the Ninja as well as the special edition DLC that we released. And that has the entire story arc and pl extra playable character of a young version of Dosan, the tattoo artist from when he was a younger member of the Hisumu clan. And it's a story about him going to get the flower for the first time 
um, on his quest to become the clan's tattoo artist and take over for that. Um, so it's kind of like a, a prequel vision into how old old man Dasan like, first went and got the tattoo to do the first ritual for, for the clan. Um, in terms of other elements that have actually been remastered, originally the game had a mixture of uh, 720p and 1080p assets that then get scaled up into various uh, areas of the game. Uh, all of the new assets in the game have been completely redone in full HD. Everything is in HD. Many things have been redrawn. There's new particle effects in it. Uh, the backgrounds and everything are at their full maximum potential because like, we drew those backgrounds you see and all the layers that go into them as you move past them in the parallax, they were originally created absolutely massive, and then they get compressed down um, to fit into smaller, more manageable file sizes. And uh, that's basically, you're getting the full, huge, original art for that game, so there's barely any compression on it now, so the file is just much, much larger, and it looks absolutely gorgeous and stunning, both from the character perspective as well as all the background art and stuff we did with the audio we're trying really hard to do a full 5.1 um surround sound mix at minimum we're going to be putting in the um full uncompressed audio previously all the audio was also compressed to try and save room for all the visuals and assets that went in there um so new particle effects, full HD, actual assets, and uh, full audio remaster, and we're pretty certain it's going to be uh, 5.1 surround. We're trying really hard to do that, too. That sounds great. Now, this game came out originally, we said before, in 2012. Obviously, the indie scene has just continued to explode and grow since then. What have you seen? What do you think, um, you know, just kind of comparing the environment, the indie environment in which the game originally launched, and now, um, you know, looking at today around, I believe the game comes out in fall. That's uh, when, when we get to that point, how, how do you think, what have you seen how this industry has changed and evolved since then? Well, it's really awesome to have, well, first of all, it's awesome to have like the Nindies event from Nintendo and having the, the focus on uh, a lot of these, I would say a little bit more abstract kind of games compared to the, a lot of the traditional releases that, that we're used to. And it's really exciting to, to see these studios of various sort of team sizes and mixtures and these ideas uh, be able to get onto a platform with the same kind of support that these, you know, much larger organizations that have traditionally been on uh, home console. Uh, it's just been really great over the years to watch all the support come to, to make it much more accessible for developers of all sizes and kind of uh, situations to have a shot at putting something on, say, like the Nintendo eShop to try and get it into people's hands. And, you know, the people will elevate the stuff that they love. And it's just really cool to see people have that opportunity. It's also just really exciting to see fans talking about um, these sorts of games uh, mixed in with the big, huge AAA releases and stuff like that. Because, uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting uh, scape right now, and it's exciting to watch it keep growing. Yeah, it really seems that it's getting harder and harder to classify games with terms like indie or, or AAA, yeah. because so, so many of the games, you look at the Nintendo eShop, and, and just as often as seeing you know, what you traditionally consider a AAA game at the top of the charts, you'll see indie games at the top of the charts. So Agreed. I don't know that the consumer really gets that difference anymore. Yeah, I feel, I, I completely agree, and I feel like that 
in the video game world, AAA and indie do, does get thrown around because it's probably the shortest way that people are like, yeah, okay, I kind of get what you're talking about. Yeah, it's an indie game or it's a AAA game. But I agree, that line is getting blurred. Like, some people are pushing boundaries for what is defined as an indie game or an indie studio as a whole um, quite far. And it's uh, that, that gap is getting quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I really can't wait to, to get into, especially in, in handheld mode on my Nintendo Switch. I'm really looking forward to getting into Mark of the Ninja Remastered. So thanks so much for coming on the show, um, Corey, and I really can't wait to play the game. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank our guests, Bill Trennan, Suda51, and Corey Rollins. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you always get the new episodes the moment they're ready. And hey, we didn't have time for a game forecast this episode, but don't forget that Nintendo Labo launches on April 20th. Thanks for listening and keep playing with power.